Your Bible's with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This morning we're going to be in verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Messiah Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of God. Would you stand and read it with me? Let's, let's all say it together. Verses one through four. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And now say it with me. This is the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus. Therefore. Most of us are aware what that word means in the flow of an author's argument. It means he or she is summing up, is bringing what they have been arguing to a conclusion. It's like a big signpost that tells us, look back there. Review where we've been because this is what it's all been leading to. And when we look back in this argument from Paul and Romans, just where are we looking? Well, I think that we could say at minimum that we are looking at Romans 7, which we haven't been in for a month. So we're all going to do our best to remember what Romans 7 was about. And in particular, I think Romans 7, verses 7 and 25. And when we take that look back, what we find is the experience of an unbeliever agonizing over their inability to do good, even when they want to, and instead do bad, even when they don't want to. Let me remind you, verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. Verse 14, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. Verse 18 and 19, for I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. So that, verse 24, he concludes, what a wretched 
man that I am. For in my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Here is someone who is in the throes of pondering carefully the seriousness of sin and the reality of God's judgment. And it is those realities that Paul has been on about since the very beginning of the letter. He's carried it all the way through in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and in chapter 5, getting specific about the condemnation that all humanity faces due to our sin and guilt before God, issues that the law cannot fix but only intensify and deepen. That's been the problem all the way along. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus. Now, presently, right now, it's immediate, not later, not in the future. There's no waiting for it, no uncertainty. It's not at risk. It's under no threat. It is Now, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus. No condemnation. In light of what we've just looked back at in those verses I quoted to you, therefore might come as a surprise for where he left at the end of chapter 7, which had been the culmination of so much of his argument on sin, judgment, and the law. What a wretched man that I am. With my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin— that seems to hardly encourage a shout of triumph. Like no condemnation. As one commentator notes, one might have expected him to say instead, there is therefore a lot of gloom and doom. Condemnation. Seems like there'd be a lot of condemnation when you read those texts that we read. And just what is condemnation? seems kind of important to know. It carries with it a judicial force. It's the idea of a defendant proven guilty before the judge with a verdict rendered over that one who's been proven guilty. We speak, right, of a, of a condemned criminal, a condemned woman or a condemned man. It's the kind of person that a handful of people from grace have been serving up at the prison at BV the last three days over this Kairos weekend, condemned men and women living under the sentence carried out against them. It is what Paul speaks of when he uses the only two other occurrences. There's only three occurrences in the New Testament, the entire New Testament of this word. He used them in chapter 5. Because of our sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation, verse 16. Through the trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, verse 18. And if you'll remember in those contexts, he was talking about the sin that came from Adam and then passed to all of humanity. But let's be clear, that original sin of Adam that passed into us when we were born into this world, due to the revelatory power of the law, didn't remain just that one original sin, but multiplied and increased. Right, it's what he's talked about. He's cataloged this gruesome increase previous to chapter 8. 
All kinds of unrighteousness, disgraceful passions, evil, greed, and wickedness, envy, myrtle, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice, gossip, slander, God-hating, arrogance, pride, boasting, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, unloving, unmerciful, wrong judgment, sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, thievery, lying, stealing, materialism, idolatry, Houseful of cursing and bitterness, feet swift to shed blood, ruin and wretchedness in our paths, deceiving with tongues, venom under lips, no fear of God before our eyes, lawless acts. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one has done good, not even one. All deserve judgment, punishment, death, and condemnation. There is condemnation for everyone. Chapter 5. Verse 18, what wretched humans we are. And yet, in the face of that massive problem, therefore there is now no condemnation for those, for those in. We all know what it feels like to not be in. It starts in grade school when you're the last chosen to be on the team. It gets worse in high school when you're not with the in crowd. doesn't stop in university, the working world, the neighborhood, or on social media. It seems like we are always wrestling with being in. We even have acronyms for it, FOMO, fear of missing out for us older folks. And who wants to be left on the outside looking in? Who wants to have fallen short in that way? Who wants to feel that kind of, you know, condemnation? Just show me how to be in, how to be a part, how to be accepted and welcomed, embraced, made one with the rest. If there is some guideline, I'll do it. Some standard I have to meet, I'll achieve it. Some quality I need to get rid of, I'll cut it. Some part of me to sacrifice, I'll offer it. Just let me in. That's not, that's not the pathway to freedom from ultimate exclusion and no condemnation. It's not the pathway to getting in in such a way that we're fully satisfied and in peace. We can do it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah. There's only one way to be free of the seriousness of sin and the reality of God's present and future judgment. We all need rescue. We all need a savior. We all need a Messiah. The anointed one. The prophesied one. The one for whom all humanity was longing for, waiting for, praying for, seeking for. The one who would bear our sicknesses and carry our pains and be pierced because of our rebellion and crushed because of our iniquities and take the punishment for our peace and freedom from condemnation who would heal all our wounds. But he could not be any mere human Messiah. No mere human could take the sin of all humanity. No mere human could bear that kind of weight and pay that kind of debt. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah. Jesus! 
Jesus, very God of very God, son of God and son of man. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. God has appointed him the heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after, listen to this, making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. After making purification for sins, sins. And you will have a child and you shall call his name Jesus because he will save, he will save his people from their sin. You see, this is the only way out of judicial condemnation. This is the only way out of emotional condemnation from those outside of us. Ever been condemned? For some part of you by someone else? Have you ever been condemned by you? That inner voice? This is the only way to be free of the dark cloud of judgment that hangs over all of our sins because of our ongoing struggle with sin. And what guarantees it all, my friends, is not law, but location. We must be in this Messiah. We must be in this Jesus, united to him, in union with him, inside, safe, protected, welcomed, free, accepted, safe. In a location where nobody can accuse us because God has justified us. Chapter eight, verse 33. In a location where nobody can condemn us because Messiah died, was raised, and is at God's right hand and is interceding for us. Chapter eight, verse 34. In a location because we have been made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through Messiah Jesus. Chapter five, verse one. All of it meaning that there is now therefore no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus. That. That's what chapter 8 is all about. That verse. (laughs) Some of you know it. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. When you know this about him, of course you can do that. Because of what he's done. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud because a new power is in operation. That's the message version of that. If you were looking for one of the most important passages in Romans for a statement of what is at the center of Paul's thinking, (laughs) that would be a good one to put on your list. But here's the beautiful thing. Here's what I love. It's only the beginning of chapter 8. It is remarkable and awe-inspiring and hope-producing and celebration-inducing and joy-creating on its own. That half sentence. But it is merely the first phrase of Romans. We haven't even looked at a complete sentence yet. (laughs) And and we're 
halfway through the manuscript. And what is so exciting to me is that this is the first phrase into a gateway of what Paul wants to unpack in the rest of the great eight. This is the theme and the aim. Here in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, part A. And what follows is a densely packed and layered explanation, an argument for what exactly this first phrase means and all that it opens the door to. Which, is mean, which means what we're doing, say, what we were going to do this morning was verses 1 to 17. That's what I had decided on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I decided verses 1 to 11. And then on Wednesday, I decided verses 1 to 4. Okay, so I have no idea how long we'll be in Romans 8. I just don't. Only the Spirit does. I will be happy to be here as long as he wants us to. So I'm just getting you ready for that. And here's the good news. It gives all of us time to memorize this chapter. Would you do that with me? I'm going to memorize Romans 8 as we're preaching through it. Wouldn't it be great for us? This is the great eight. This is such a remarkable. There are so many Christian coffee cups that were birthed in this chapter. So it's going to take time because there's a, a densely packed and layered explanation for everything that this first bit is opening the door to. You know, it's like a number of months, I think it was a couple months ago, my wife got me a, a plant and uh, she, she put it next to this little spot where we have my desk in the front of our house, a big window right there. And, and what started to happen is these little, these little buds started to come off of one of the stems of the plant. And, and then those little buds started to open up into these beautiful flowers, like 20 to 30 flowers on each of these little, you know, spires or whatever you would call those things. Some plant biologists would know. And if I would have had the eyes to see, like, they were there all along, right? They were there in the stem and in the bud and then the fullness of the flower. And this is exactly what we have before us in chapter 8, verse 1, part A. We have a little bud of what Paul is now going to unpack over the rest of this chapter and over however many weeks we're here. He's going to slowly unfurl his argument layer by layer, just like those petals slowly opening up and opening up and opening up until what we'll see at the end of chapter 8 is a stunning doctrinal bouquet where there is no condemnation because the spirit law has set you free from the sin law because God has acted in his son, the Messiah, and his spirit to condemn sin and provide love because there are two types of human beings and you are the spirit type because these two types are heading respectively for death and life. Deeper and deeper and deeper we're going to go. And there is no condemnation because of all of what he's gonna unpack and help us see so that you can firmly believe that truth. But I'm getting ahead of him. So, so let's look at the first bud and start to watch the petals unfold. Verse one, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. If in the words of John Stott, 
The first blessing, he calls it, of being rescued by God through faith in Messiah Jesus is expressed in the words, no condemnation. Then the second blessing of being rescued is expressed in verse two. Namely, what we see here is liberation. He has set you free, joins no condemnation as the true, the two great blessings right at the beginning of chapter eight. Son and spirit. You know, there are a number of manuscripts. You might have a note here by has set you free. You might have a note in many translations have a little note there and says many manuscripts say has set me free. Which is really interesting to me. I, I think that's an important possibility because what it opens the door to is that Paul is describing his own experience. It is, it is his personal testimony. He's celebrating and exulting in his own deliverance in the Messiah and through the power of the Spirit from the law and the sin and death that were attendant with the law in his life, which had resulted in the humiliating situation which he identified himself with in Romans 7. Which is, of course, the testimony of anyone who has come to Jesus, right? And this is why I love what that little manuscript note is doing. It is reminding us that this is and should be reading this text. Listen to me. Reading this text and studying this text, family, should be intensely personal. We shouldn't read this passage with passive interest, or worse, with disinterest. Because for everyone in Messiah Jesus, this is our experience. The law of the spirit of life has set us free. <laughs> oh, do you believe it? The spirit the breath of God, the wind, in, in Hebrew, the ruach of God has been unleashed in the world to blow like a spring gale through the dead wood of the world so that life may explode in its path wherever it blows. And for every Christian, it blew through us, making us alive, freeing us from sin and death, setting us free, uniting us with Christ. Oh, Dear brothers and sisters, this is who we are in Messiah Jesus. Oh my goodness, you should say amen to that. Thank you. This gale that blew through our hearts and lives. Which is a good reminder for surly Salidans complaining about spring winds. My goodness, y'all. Second spring here, you are griping just as much as you did last year. I pray for you that maybe we could be like my friend Nancy who, who told me once how she's okay with the winds because how she thinks of them is blowing winter away. Right, now you say amen. In other words... For Nancy, it blows winter away so that, right, the vibrant life of spring, I mean, as vibrant as it gets in a high desert mountain environment, but the, the vibrant life of, of spring and summer can arrive 
which sounds familiar. Chapter 8, verse 2. Listen to it, rendered by Eugene Peterson. The spirit of life in Messiah, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. So maybe instead of grumbling about spring winds in Salida, we could grab hold of that as a metaphor for what God may do through us, through the Messiah, through the Spirit, to release freedom from sin and death and to cause spiritual life to explode all around us in our little hamlet. I mean, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, isn't that what we all want? Oh, I hope it's what we all want. To be like, <laughs> I just had a picture in my mind of a bunch of gray Salidians walking around like, <laughs> right? Pro- proclaiming, didn't you just hear Emily read that his word will not return void and it'll be like the water that saturates the ground and brings forth seed and fruit and plant. Do you believe that? Because his word in your mouth going out will do that. That's not just, that text isn't just for preachers, it's for proclaimers. So go down on F Street and go, See if someone asks you if he seems you're kind of crazy. Let me tell you about Jesus and the Spirit. This freedom from condemnation could only happen in one way, Paul says, verse 3. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He's just telling us what he's already said before, clarifying it further, explaining why we couldn't free ourselves from judgment and condemnation through the law. Because the problem isn't in the law, the problem is in us. It was impossible for the law to free us from condemnation because it was always weakened by the flesh. It never had a chance. It was always destined to fail. So something else was needed. Someone else was needed. What the law could not do, what we could not do, God did. (laughs) Thank you. Just what did God do? He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Oh, Father, make this real to us right now. Help us not to be disinterested or distracted. God, show us in vivid display what you have done in your son. Brothers and sisters, the only way that there is no condemnation for us is that there was condemnation for sin. God condemned sin. God passed judgment on sin. God pronounced the damnableness of sin and executed punishment upon it. But sin manifests in the flesh. That is its location. And so God needed to condemn sin in the flesh. And he couldn't do that for all humanity in just any human and have it be effective. But it still had to happen in the flesh. And so wonder of wonders, God became flesh. God sent his only begotten son. 
not as sinful flesh. That wouldn't work, would it? That wouldn't be the proper sacrifice. It wouldn't be effectual. And so God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, brothers and sisters, don't miss this. Oh, this is so good. Paul is so brilliant. Love this guy. The son came to the very point of the problem. The very problem that Romans 7 had identified. Wasn't that the agony that Paul described? That we are of the flesh, sold under sin. That nothing good lives in us that is in our flesh. That with our flesh, we serve the law of sin. And so Jesus comes in the likeness of sinful flesh so that he can be the location at which God draws all the sin of all time, of all humanity into a single receptacle of flesh. It is as if Jesus sucks the poison of sin from all other flesh and draws its vile venom into his own flesh where it is denounced and defeated, cornered, and condemned. Wow. And in this way, Jesus is sent as a sin offering. On our behalf. What is that about? A sin. Why did, why, did, why did he add that in there? Once again, here's why we need the whole story of the Bible, brothers and sisters. If we are to unfold and understand and exult over the layers of what God has done, we need to rem- see and remember all that he has done. So remember in the old covenant, in the Mosaic law, there were all kinds of different offerings for different kinds of sins, right? Do you remember that? If you've read the Old Testament, And one of those offerings was the sin offering. Now, do you remember what the sin offering was for? Let me tell you, you probably don't. It was a sacrifice used when sin, when someone had committed sin unwittingly, not knowing it was wrong, or unwillingly knowing it was wrong but not intending to. Okay, okay, so do you see what, what Paul is said, remember what we saw in Romans 7, I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. The desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. What a wretched man that I am. Sounds like unwitting and unwilling sin, doesn't it? So what's needed for that? A sin offering. And so what does God provide in the sending of his son in the likeness of sinful flesh? Say it. Yes. <laughs> Just mind. I mean, come on. That's really good. I can't remember exactly what day it was, but at one point this week, Jim and I were talking about this passage and, and he pressed in at this point, wondering This is so good. I love my brother. He was wondering, how many sins are we committing each day and each week that we aren't even aware of? Consider that. Isn't that why this offering was there in the Old Covenant? 
to protect against this very reality. And now Jesus, now Jesus is here as this very specific kind of sin offering today for us after a week, likely filled with unwitting and unwilling sins. And Jim then reflected further, pondering, if that's true, what should it feel like that those sins are presently lifted because of Jesus as my sin offering. <gasps> like you came in today and you're like, oh Jesus, like I've been so bad, I don't even know how bad I've been. <laughs> like would you just take care of that? And he's like, uh-huh, I would because I'm your sin offering. I'm your sin offering. And I take care of all of them. The ones you know, the ones you don't. The ones you meant, the ones you didn't. And think even more. Do you long like me? I've said this a few times over the last few weeks. I'm tired of being a sinner. It is exhausting. <laughs> it is a wearying thing to be a sinner. Do you realize there's a, there's a promise? There's a promise coming. There's a present lifting of that sin in this sin offering and we're going to discover in Romans 8 that this is also a, a promise now of a full lifting of any future judgment and condemnation for us in Jesus. There is a glory, Paul will write, that is going to be revealed to us, a creation set free from bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. And we who have the Spirit have the first fruits of that now. So Paul is saying I am meant in the liberating work of the Spirit in my life to be tasting a present freedom from the experience of sin. Holy cow! That's good news. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, which means there's a present experience from sin and the joy and peace of forgiveness and the taste of increasing holiness and purity because that's why God has done what he has done for your increasing holiness and purity. In order that, he says, the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. You see, the law was meant to give life because it was meant to walk us out of the wilderness of sin and death when we live by it. But it couldn't bring that life, not because of its failure, but because of us. It was weakened by our flesh. But its requirement still needs to be fulfilled, which is why the Messiah came as a sin offering and took all of our law failures, past, present, and future, so that the requirement would be fulfilled in us because we are in him. And there's a very specific way that that fulfillment happens. And it doesn't come by walking according to the flesh. Why? Because that always ends in failure. We must remember this. Our, our flesh is fundamentally weak. It does not have the strength to live rightly, joyfully, doing as God would have us do so that we might have life abundant and happy and flourishing and free. Rather, the requirement of us is only fulfilled, ironically, when we don't walk in our own strength, but in the spirit that God has provided. 
That's the great irony here. We cannot keep the law due to the flesh, but we can keep the law by the Spirit. Do you see it? Paul has made this clear elsewhere. He says in Galatians 5, I say then, walk by the Spirit. Walk just means live. Just, you're walking through life. Live by the Spirit and you will certainly, look, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now those who belong to Messiah Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step by the Spirit. You should write Galatians 5, 16 to 18 and 24 and 25 in the margins of Romans 8. I pray them frequently. Father, help me to walk by the Spirit, to to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be guided by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to be filled with and anointed by the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to, I want you to remember this morning. This is real. Can I say something that's abundantly obvious to the most casual observer? (laughs) You know, y'all are saying that sentence more than any other sentence I've said in the last 13 months. I love it. This is real. The Spirit is real. This is our promise. This is our inheritance by faith in Messiah Jesus. The pathway to no condemnation is clear. Savior and Spirit, Son and Spirit sent by God. I mean, imagine, we don't need to live struggling We don't have to function with the constant inner murmur of self-reproach, of external criticism or satanic accusation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah, Jesus. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, our fateful dilemma is resolved. This is the message, Romans 8, 1-4. Those who enter into Messiah's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Messiah, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing us from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, don't do that. Simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Do you remember what we said at Easter? Your day is already a success in Jesus before you've even moved a muscle. <laughs> embrace the Spirit in us. Worship team, would you come up? Paul has so much more to say about this. 
we have many more petals to unfold in this bouquet of belief. More about the work of the Spirit in us, what it means for our living a life of joy and peace and happiness and freedom. Listen, because of who God says we are. Because of who he says we are. And we're going to let Paul say that over the coming weeks. We're going to, you want to talk about wave upon wave of grace? It's going to happen. So until next week, let's stand and let's make this declaration again. All right? Say it out loud with me, family. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the word of God. Amen. Thanks be to God.